0: Our scripture reading today is from the sixth chapter of the book of John, the first through the thirteenth verses, a familiar passage, and we pray that we gain additional insight as the pastor brings forth the message this morning. It reads thus, After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for all these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get even just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and from the fragments of the five barley loaves and two fish left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: making sure you're safe there Paul thank you so much thank you so much (laughs) will you pray with me Holy Spirit send your power down upon us and we pray that either through me or in spite of me we may be challenged we may be blessed we may be filled with wonder today. In your name we pray, amen. Some of you know that I have often said, The Office is life. The Office, you know, The Office, NBC's smash hit sitcom from 2008 to 2013. It follows the unlikely community that forms between coworkers in a paper company's sales office. Now, many people would say that the show lost its magic when, near the end of season seven, the office's regional manager and series main character, Michael Scott, portrayed by Steve Carell, left the show. But I politely disagree. After having watched the entire series from beginning to end no less than five times, I would posit that the magic of The Office only began when Michael left. I know, I know. (laughs) It's a controversial opinion, but just hear me out. Don't get me wrong, I love Michael Scott, but he's a troublesome character at times. He's shallow, self-centered, childish, racist, homophobic, focused on drama and getting attention in whatever way he can for six and a half seasons. But when he leaves the office in Scranton, Pennsylvania, to follow his fiancee Holly to Colorado, as she needs to be closer to her parents, who are aging. He puts someone else's needs before his own, and perhaps for the first time. And it transforms his whole character. And I think It's because of Michael Scott's metamorphosis into a better person that it lifts up all the other characters into better versions of themselves. Some would say there's no need to watch past season seven, but I say, why wouldn't you? You get to watch a group of, albeit people grow into a true community, lifting one another up, supporting each other, and encouraging the other to be their best self. Which is exactly like the story of the feeding of the 5,000, don't you think? Weren't you thinking exactly that? (laughs) No, the same wavelength here. What we find in this sixth chapter of John it's what the New Interpreter's Bible would say is a carefully crafted chapter character- characterized by a tight interweaving of narrative and discourse. It follows the same basic pack- pattern as the chapter previous, chapter 5, Miracle Dialogue Discourse, in which the narrative shows Jesus' self-revelation to two groups, the crowd and the disciples. Most scholars would say that this is all about Jesus revealing himself as God's Son. But I politely disagree. I think it might be less about Jesus than we often assume. A controversial opinion, I know, but stick with me for a minute. There are reportedly thousands of people gathered on this mountainside having followed Jesus. They had seen his signs and wonders. He was making sick people well. There were miracles that he performed. And people were starting to suspect that there was something really special about this guy. Obviously, a lot of people wanted to see what would happen next, to bear witness to this next great sign, to be a part of this something big that was going down. And sometimes I wonder if we think that these thousands of people are just following Jesus blindly without any forethought. But I'm not sure how that can be. Thousands of people not thinking ahead to when they were going to eat next. I know people, we're really concerned about when we're going to eat next. In the midst of that crowd, there are people that know that they cannot make it too far without just a little snack. Parents with children that would have grabbed extra from home to keep their kids settled and quiet and fed. Individuals that had a bag full of food to last a day or two. I mean, sure, probably some of those people were hungry. But if we really look at the scripture, did you notice it doesn't say that the people were hungry at all? It says nothing about their hunger, you know, like empty to full ratio of their bellies. It just says that they arrived after following Jesus on the mountainside. It was Jesus who brought up this whole idea of feeding all these people. And the scripture even says that when he asked Philip where they were going to get all of the bread for all of these people to eat, that he said this to test Philip, for Jesus himself already knew what he was going to do is Jesus up to? Philip scoffed, not even six months' wages would buy enough bread to feed this crowd. Now, Andrew calls out that there is a little boy that has offered to share his lunch of five loaves of bread and two fish. And I imagine, as maybe you do sometimes, these bumbling disciples, I imagine them all rolling their eyes. Great, they think, another mess that Jesus has gotten us into. And then Jesus takes the food and blesses it and starts to hand it out to the people. And of course, that's when it implies, the scripture implies that the miracle started happening. But I wonder if the miracle is different than an actual physical multiplying of the food. I do not at all think that Jesus couldn't have taken the loaves and the fish and made them into more loaves and fishes. I think that could have happened. I just don't think Jesus had to. Because I imagine as these lunch items were distributed, other items were added to the offering. A loaf of bread pulled out from a cloak here, some cheese and dates from a bag there, and on and on until the snacks and the meals that were already present among the crowd were offered as gifts to the people around them. And in the end, every single person was fed with leftovers to boot. So what if the miracle of the story is that the boy made a choice to be selfless and with his childish faith gave up his lunch, and because of that, others sat up, took notice, and made a choice To also be like him, offering up whatever they had so that everyone could have some. Which is exactly what we do every time we gather together as a church community, don't you think? And some people might think that we find ourselves together because we enjoy one another and find kindred spirits in each other. But I politely disagree. I think the reason we gather together is something entirely different. The liking each other and finding kindred spirits, that's just kind of like a bonus. I think we are looking at each other for a sign of something better, something transformative. And that something better doesn't always, or truthfully maybe doesn't usually, come from the pastor or the worship leaders, but from among the crowd. There are times when you might be content to be present, but maybe not share everything you have and everything that you are. It's just a little easier that way, less vulnerable. It's easy to come and sit in this room and sneak out afterwards. Or watch online and check the box, Church Done. But when one of us offers ourselves in all of our authentic beauty, it encourages others to do the same. And as each person is lifted up, that person is in a better place to lift someone else up, and we all become better versions of ourselves. I would say that it's not easy to be the church these days. In our mainstream culture Christianity is often assumed to be conservative, controlling, a faith for those that don't need to ask questions and that want black and white answers. And in a season of thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands of people reconsidering priorities, leaving their jobs, leaving church, and looking for new ways to live out their values, I think that we have a very important role to offer. It's an unpopular opinion, I know. But we are a community that welcomes, that cares for one another, that seeks to lift each other up, and then encourages each other to be better versions of ourselves. As July rolled around, July 1st, when most um, appointments in the United Methodist Church began, I was very mindful that I began my Eighth year of ministry here at Washington Park, United Methodist Church, with all of you. Some might say there's no need to go past season seven. (laughs) But I invite you to stick around for season eight, and let's make it the best season ever together. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.